Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Today is a special day for me because one of my best friends is in the house all the way from Sydney, Australia. And I got to know this guy about a year ago. And um, the timing, you know, we met through a mutual friend. And at the time, actually, Liz was kind of running point on my Instagram account. Now, if you don't know, I'm horrible at social media. Um, I never remember to do anything on social media. So without Liz, like I would have zero posts. And so she had kind of commandeered my account. And so she was responding to all my DMs. So if you DM me and I don't get back to you, blame Liz. Okay, not me. And if you don't know who Liz is, it's my wife. She's up here. So, um, this dude DMs me because we had a mutual friend that said we should connect, uh, a guy who lives in South Africa named Phil Dooley, and he's like, hey, you guys should connect, and so he DMs me on Instagram. Liz responds, I'd love to hang out. Next time you're in Austin, here's my number, okay? So he lives in Australia. He texts me because he's a really thoughtful guy in the middle of the night. He texts me, and he's like, dude, looking forward to hanging with you when I'm in town next week. Now, it wakes me up, and I look at my phone, and I'm like, who are you? Like, what? I can't respond back, who are you, because he knows we're hanging out. So I'm thinking, like, what happened? Wrong number. What am I supposed to do? Come to find out, Liz tells me about it after she wakes up in the morning, that, oh, it's this dude named Joel. And we end up having dinner, me, his wife, Riv, and him, two days before Liz had her stroke. And um, really, they just enfolded us into their family as we endured that tragic season uh, in our lives. And we've really been knit together ever since. He's been used so powerfully. Not only has he uh, worked as one of the youth pastor and young adult pastors at Hillsong Church, uh, but also now travels the world as an evangelist and sees thousands uh, of young people make decisions to follow Jesus. So can we give the biggest, the loudest, the most rowdiest welcome to my best friend, Mr. Joe Bennett. Hey. I do not know how I'm going to live up to that. There's a whole lot to live up to. Before I start, can I do, I, I, I've been before and I feel like I've become family. I mean, I don't know why you guys are separated by chairs. I mean, anyways, do we need to have a counseling session later on? <laughs> anyway, Chris and Christy, I was just in worship and I don't do this very often. And um, There's a scripture in 2 Kings 4 uh, where it's the story of Elisha who's with the woman with the, the oil. I think you know the story and... God, she screams to him and says, I've got nothing left. I'm going to go. I'm going to die, etc. But he says, well, what do you want? And I believe in your, you're about to go into a season where he's going, what do you want? What do you want? And, and once you've got what you want, it says, shut the door and the oil is going to flow. And I believe you both about to, I don't know where he is right now, but he's somewhere doing something real important, but it's going to flow. And I don't know what you've been longing for, what that thing is in this season, but I believe it's one of those, this next season will be one where you're like, the line's in the sand and you've stepped into something where you've prayed for for years. And you're going to experience the power of God in elements. You're going to see moments in cafes where it's going to be the overflow of your personal world where the door's been shut. So I just thought, I don't know what that means, but so that I don't do that whenever I go places, but when I do, I have to be obedient. Are you okay with that? Great. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your timing this morning that as we spend time with you, you'll get through me well enough that I can speak the message you've given. That they're not my words, they're your words. 
In Jesus' name, amen. I remember sitting down at, that ca- at, the, at the restaurant with you, these guys, and I was like, why am I here? Liz didn't even show up. Liz didn't show up, and JD didn't. I'm like, my wife came, and Riv said to you two, um, don't give up, basically. The season is ahead. It's going to be a little, little rocky, but don't give up. And I almost feel like the season of don't give up is it's kind of signed, sealed, and delivered. But this next season is one of those um, I long for and now I see. That those years of toil in certain areas in America, we've seen it. I feel like God's going to start to spotlight some areas again in America where you're going to see those things come about. Because he didn't put those cities for no reason in you. It's coming back. So, that was, I don't know where I'm at this morning in the sense of, I don't, like, this is like, we could do this all day long. My wife is at home, currently asleep, and I am married with three kids, and some of you may remember them. I like to show them wherever I go because it makes me miss them. So if you've got the photo, you can put them up. If you don't, I'll move on. So I already missed them, and I get to fly out this afternoon, so it's kind of cool, but you don't have them. It's okay. Do you have them? Wave your hand if you have them. Doesn't have them. We're going to have a fun Sunday. Hey, look at them. Ah, So my wife, her name is River. She's a... A photographer and a creative. My sons are Zion, Brave, Rome, Anchor, Knox, Joel. Rome just turned 10. Happy birthday tomorrow, Mr. Mr. 10-year-old. It's going to be good. So that's my family. Now we family. We can do this, right? There's a scripture in um, Hebrews 10, 36. It says this. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you receive what he has promised. I've got this longing for uh, like revival. I've, I think I've had it since I was little, and I used to lay on the, 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 under the pews at my church with my parents. I, I used to long for revival. I remember them praying for revival. Anyone else prayed for revival? I, I, I'm, and I'm by chance going to say that we will never see revival like we thought we would because historians will only speak about revival. We will live it. And when you're in something you can't see it, you just live it. And I believe for us to have a corporate revival, for us to impact our city, for us to reach the lost and see the revival come about, because you are in one of the most craziest cities in America. I don't know if you went downtown this week. I went to 6th Street yesterday. You need to pray for me. I saw some things I can't unsee. But as I was going through, I went, this is a place that needs a revival to take place where people who have come to a place where it's open thinking, open living, they are going to see the real living God. But to do that, it's going to require a revival to take place. But before we can see a corporate revival, we need to have a personal revival. And I believe a personal revival starts when we do some details with Jesus where we do the details of God, where we see the promises of God come about in our lives, where the will of God is a yes and amen. For that to take place, we have to do some things. To do that, we have to go all in. To do that, we've got to go all the way. There's a scripture in 2 Kings. And I look at it and it's 2 Kings 5, hence I was in 2 Kings 4 today. 2 Kings 5, it's the story of Naaman, the, the mighty man of valor from Syria. And this story is kind of funny for lack of time. I'll 
kind of paraphrase it. It's Naaman, he goes into, and goes into Israel, has a massive fight with them, as they do, because that's what Israel and Syria have been doing for years. I don't know if you realize they're still doing it. Um, they goes in, he goes in, plunders the city, takes, off a, little, takes a little girl back to his house, saves her. She becomes a, 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 lack of a better word of saying, a slave or a maid in his house for his wife. Now she's in the house serving and Naaman gets this disease called leprosy. Leprosy is a, such a bad disease back then because it was a disease which would steal your skin, steal your ears, steal your nose, the fleshy parts. It was just, it would take you to town. And in that it was, it became a point where if you had this disease, you actually couldn't stay in community. That disease, they would, if they found out you had it, they would start to move you outside the walls of the city so you could no longer infiltrate the community and they wouldn't get what you had. And so before anyone would know it, it obviously a few people knew, but his maidservant knew and said, oh, that my master would go and see the man, the prophet in Israel and he would heal him of his leprosy. And so Naaman gets this idea, I should go. I really should. So he goes to the king because he has a letter, uh, an inroads with the king and says, hey, king, Give me a letter to go to this guy. He's going to heal me. So he writes a letter. Hey, dear king of Israel, this is my servant Naaman. He's killed your people. He's destroyed your lands. And I want you to heal him. Right? That's not going to work. So he gets this letter. And so it says in the Bible that he went away and he got this letter, put it in his pocket, goes home and he packs. He gets 10,000 shekels of something and 6,000 shekels of something. And then he gets 10 changes of clothing, puts them all in his backpack. I mean, Let's be honest, his wife packed for him. So he had three suitcases and he was ready to go. And he, he gets them and he puts them on his chariot and he takes off with his friends to Israel. He gets to the king's palace and he gives him the letter. The king goes, what? Rips his clothes and says, am I God that I can kill and make alive? That's not me. And it's, apparently, Elisha has heard the story via Instagram and I... And, and so he's seen the update of the king half naked and went, oh, I better get intervene. So he sends his men back over to the, to the king's palace and says, hey, put your clothes back on, come to my house. And so he gets in his chariot and he follows this man to Elisha's house. Now, the chariots and all his friends, it's a hoo-ha when he's going, you know what I mean? He gets there and next you know we're in this place where Elisha is like, I don't want to see him. Because that's what the man of God obviously wants not to do. He doesn't want to go out and touch him. He doesn't want to get involved with it. I'm just joking. You're like, this isn't the story. <laughs> what, what happens is it says, Elisha goes, sends a servant out to him and says, hey, you need to go and wash in the Jordan seven times. And Naaman goes, surely the Abner and the Farpar rivers are far grander and greater than the, the rivers of Israel. I'd rather be in Damascus than here. And it says he goes away in rage. This morning, have you ever heard from God that, and you went, it's too easy? It's too simple. And I, I just don't want to do it that way. Actually, we think that for us to do the will of God, it has to be difficult. In fact, I would consider to do the will of God is quite simple. Love God, love people, and love life. But for some reason, we want to make it this grandiose thing that you've got to do all these big things and then we've seen the will of God but by chance maybe it's just love God and love people and here he is this Naaman is, goes away in rage 
We have a generation that wants the fast options. The quick fads, the easy roads, the we want Chick-fil-A in 30 seconds. We want in and out in 10. Like we are the generation that goes drive through at Starbucks. We don't want to slow down for anything. We the best one is we want the, the muscles without the weights. We want to lose the weight without doing the work. We want the blessing but not the sacrifice. But here we are and it's God's like, I need you. And he's like, we have a generation that says we're not all in. But he's going, if you want to be all in, you've got to give me everything. And when you've given everything, you've got to give your best. And when you give your best, you're going to fail. And when you fail, don't stay down. Get back up, wipe it off and go again. Because if you can get back up, that is where we start to see the will of God. It's in the getting back up again. It's after it all hasn't worked. It's when the, the, the life has gone to the, when we get back up again. So today I want to give us a few points. Help us do the will of God to see a personal revival come about in our world. Is that okay? 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, My God's grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. About six, seven months ago, eight months ago, I don't actually, can't really remember the date right now, is my mum passed away and I read that scripture. And I, here I am, I'm, gonna, I'm a preacher around the world and I'm doing all these things. I'm like, I feel so weak. And God's like, finally. Finally, you're at the point where I can start to show you my power. Finally, I can show you all my grace, because you finally got to the point where weakness is your strength. See, we want to be strong. I'm Australian. I want to be this manly man. If you ever meet an Australian, they are like the most manly of mans for no apparent reason, apart from that we're told we have to be. You tell me I can't do it, it's the best thing you can do, because I'll do it. But in the weakness is where I started to see God's grace and His favor it's a stupid, unmerited, undeserved grace or favor for my life. I don't know where you're at right now, but if you're going, man, I need God to come through. I need something to shake me. Maybe you need to put down the facade or those things that are stopping you from going forward and actually show yourself a little vulnerable and weak. Because in that vulnerability, in that weakness, God is about to show up and show off. In all that to say, I went to Mexico two years ago. And as I went to Mexico, I, I never wanted to be a missionary. I mean, I always thought missionaries were long-haired, like hippie-looking characters, had ripped jeans. Like, that's what I thought like, a, a, a missionary looked like. I don't know if you've ever seen one. What? I, I don't know. If, like, and I had that picture of this missionary look that it was so kind of warped and wrong. And I got this phone call from one of my old interns. He just moved back to Mexico City. And I was like, man, like I could come to Mexico City, but really, honestly, I don't feel I need to be a missionary. And he's like, man, like I'll have thousands for you to preach to. I'm like, okay, I'll come and be the blessing. Like, have you ever felt that you're the blessing somewhere? And I, so I got on a plane, I flew into Mexico City, it was like late at night, and we drove three hours, no one spoke the language, I just, so I didn't speak to anyone for a week. Like, I just spoke and they would translate everything. And I was like, I hope they're saying what I'm saying. And then we did a conference and I preached and 
Thousands made decisions for Christ and they're young and they're old and they're crying and they haven't heard it because they've heard religion. And I'm like, this is amazing. I did what every bad preacher should do. After I preached, I went this way, that way, and I sat backstage so I could see nobody. I know I'm just trying to be honest and vulnerable for you. And as I was sitting there, they said, hey, can we introduce you to some kids? I'm like, yeah, sure. Like in my head, like, how am I going to talk to them? They introduced me and they gave me their names. And as we're going through it, it's amazing, great decision. That's the best day of your life because we all say those things, right? And I'm like, this has to be the best day of your life. And they went away and their carer came and spoke to me. I said, can I tell you their story? I went, sure, tell me their story. And I went, well, this young boy, let's call him Frank, and he goes, Frank was um, at five years old. His mum was so poor that she sold him into her, sold him to his uncle in prison. And for three years, Frank serviced the prison, doing whatever they asked him to do. However defiled, however disgusting, he did it. At the age of eight, he was then on sold to a political ring where they would go to parties and they'd pass him around. And then at the age of 10, he was sold into a pornography ring. And you're like, what's that got? He was the same age as my eldest son. I'm sitting there going, I'm looking at my son. Here he is, this young boy, smiling, excited for life, just met Jesus. And I'm like, I'm here to be the blessing felt God slap me so hard. Can I show you a photo? This is them that night. He sat in that road case and you can see my face. I was sitting there going, I've just been rocked by Jesus. See, let me tell you that it didn't matter their prison cell, God showed up in the middle of it. And if I wasn't going to do everything he told me to, if you want point one, it's you've got to do everything he tells you to do. He's going to lead you to some places that you said you didn't want to go to and He's going to take you to those places and in those places He's going to show up and be faithful because it's in those places in your weaknesses when God wants to show Himself strong. It's where He wants to show His grace is the most sufficient. See, I was sitting there going, I'm going to do everything He tells me to do from that day. I've become more, more abrupt in my Gospels preaching. I've become worse on planes. <laughs> I, I've become a person that you don't want to be around when the gospel is about to go down because I'm desperate. Well, how about you? How are you for a personal revival? Are you desperate to do everything he tells you to do? Are you desperate to start that business? Are you desperate to do the, the will of God in your workplace? What about in your university or your school? Will you do the will of God and do everything he tells you? See, it might not be at the, the back of Mexico City, but it might be in Round Rock. It might be in West Austin. It might be in North Austin. Who knows where it might be? But you've got to do everything He tells you to do. See, we've become a generation where we've got ADD. It's become the in thing to say that I've, that's what the reason is this. Or, I, I, and it's very true. We do have a lot of people with that. But God showed me that we actually have it spiritually as well. Where we... we we get so distracted by everything that we miss this moment that he's trying to take us on. 
Every day he's trying to get your attention and you're sitting there going, trying to read you version and you're getting your Instagram and your Facebook and the latest news updates and the cyclones and the hurricanes and the shootings in New Zealand. All these things are happening and God's trying to arrest your attention to focus on him right now. To tell you the details, to do the journeys, to show you the promises. Because if you'll persevere and do the will of God, the promises of God, the 3,000 some promises that they're written in black and white will come alive to you. See, I was, I was reading in 1 Samuel 15, it says, obedience is greater than sacrifice. And this scripture always has caught me because it's the story of Saul who went in and plundered this city, was told he shouldn't plunder. And he took all this stuff and he hid the idea that it was under the guise of, I'm going to set, give a sacrifice to God. And, and, and it was fake, it was, wasn't right. And he goes to Samuel and Samuel's like, hold on, God told you to leave it where it was because obedience is greater than sacrifice. Same with your calling. Obedience to your calling is greater than the sacrifice. This morning, what is he calling you to be obedient to? Who is it he's calling you to be obedient to? See, I went back to Mexico this last summer and I was like, I'm going to go and I'm going to go and I want to meet the other side of this. Those guys, the perpetrators, the ones who were the bad ones, the ones that were disgusting. I want to have a meeting with them somehow and I want to like abuse them and I want to have a fight with them. I want to get in their face. I mean, that's what every good Australian should do. And so I, I made some phone calls and they're like, we know two guys. They've just been released from prison. I'm like, perfect. Like, we'll, we'll set up a location where you guys can come. No one will know what's happening and we'll work it out. So we drive through all the little streets of Mexico City and we, we get to this one destination and there's two gentlemen in there and they don't look like what I was expecting. One guy has this tattoo of two half-naked women with, with handcuffs on them. His brother is smiling. I'm like, how dare you smile? And I sit down and I start to go with this conversation and it was kind of flowing quite okay, but I was getting really frustrated because they kind of were justifying everything through their, their lens of history. And as I'm going through the moments, I'm like, yeah, but... You did this, this, and this. How did you get out of here? We don't deserve to be out. I'm like, hold on. Everything just changed with him going, we don't deserve what we're being given. I'm like, well, tell me your story. And he goes, well, after everything was happening, we got caught in Mexico City, and they sent myself, my brother, and my mother, we went to prison, and we got sentenced for 20 years each. I'm like, good, you deserve it. And as he starts to tell me the story, he says, it was a bad couple of years for us. It was hard and we're good. He says, one day I remember we were cleaning up and my brother found a fake gun. But they took a photo in black and white and the gun looks real in the photo. That's got to be a bad day when you're in prison with a gun. And so they take a photo of him and they take it to the head of the prison and he sends him to maximum security in a Mexican prison. I mean, there's, there's some places I don't want to ever go. That's one of them. And he goes, he gets there and he's so excited because he gets this cell all on his own. And he's sitting in this cell the first night and he goes, it was the scariest night because beside me I could hear someone being killed. So he, 
he, he was out of his mind fearful. The next morning, they moved him from the cell on his own to the cell with the man next to him who did it. He's like, oh, oh, oh. He goes, why did you do it? And he goes, he wouldn't read to me. That's a strange comment that he wouldn't. He's been in prison for five or so years by now, and he's like, no one's read to him in five or ten years. But when he walked into the maximum security prison, he was given this little New Testament Bible. And no one had been able to read it to him. And he goes, well, I can read. <laughs> he didn't know who Jesus was. He had never been to a local church. He actually he knew of St. Jude, and that was it. And so he goes, I sat in the corner every night and I would read snippets of Matthew, Mark, Luke. Because then I got to John and in the book of John, I found Jesus. I'm sitting there going, I can't be angry at you anymore. Because the, the prison cell of pain, the prison cell of disgust, it, his, his pain and shame were found in Jesus, just like my sin and shame have been found in Jesus. See, we no longer were very different. We were now very similar. Even his past is gone because of what Jesus has done. And I'm like, ah. Oh. Now, what about you? And he goes, well, the story goes, I, I was just in my own cell. I didn't do anything to me because I was known as one of the worst of the worst. So a missionary group would come in once a week. And in there once a week, they said you had to read the Bible or join in a Bible study to get out of your cell and a donut. He wasn't the kind of guy to get involved in the small group function. Like he just wasn't that kind of character. Like he needed some discipleship to get to discipleship kind of character. Anyone like that in here? We can pray for you. Anyway. And so he's sitting there and he'd sit in a corner, have a chocolate donut, and he was reading the Bible because he had to. And he goes, I read Matthew, I read Mark, I read Luke. He goes, and there's something about the book of John that took me on a journey to meeting Jesus. And I found myself go, how self-righteous are you, Joel? That you can't even, as an evangelist, you can't even see that the worst of the worst deserve me. That doesn't matter what they've been through or where they've gone, they deserve me just as much as you and your Western world view do as well. And I'm like, God, forgive me. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. See, in, in that, I'll, I'll, I'll stop thinking rationally. Because, see, you've got to stop thinking rationally. See, once you've done everything he tells you to do, you've got to stop thinking rationally. Because if you're going to think rationally, this gospel just won't make sense. This Jesus thing won't make sense. This, this reaching the city thing that we talk about and, and, and seeing salvation, it won't make sense. So I'm sitting there with this going, how do we do this, God? This is the photo of the, three, of the four of us just last year. Can I tell you the craziest stories? They now have 2,000 in a house church. Ex-traffickers have house churches all over Mexico because Jesus... See, we're ADD. So we don't read our Bibles anymore. You've got more access to it, but you won't read it. There's more promises at hand, but you, you don't take them in. I wonder if we started to believe the way that someone in the developing world does about the Word of God, whether we would see some changes in the Western world. 
I wonder whether Austin would be transformed if you really believe that the promises of God are real and yes and amen. I wonder if your neighbor would see a different type of loving salvation. I wonder whether they'll see it. But you've got to stop thinking rationally about it. See, think about the woman with the issue of blood. If she, hadn't have, if she had a thought rationally, she would stay at the wall and she wouldn't have pressed into Jesus. In fact, she would have said, I smell, I don't deserve it, let me just be back here on my own. But instead she pushed through because she had heard that Jesus could do the miraculous. How, do you, how does your world see Jesus? Do they know He can do the miraculous in their lives? Do they know that He can do something with their pain, pain and their shame? What about Zacchaeus if he had stayed a little short guy and not climbed a tree? If he had just been, I mean, it's a great song, right? But to see what he can see, imagine if he had just stayed at the ground and went, you know what, let him, let him pass me by. But no, he stopped thinking rashly, climbed up a tree, and he got to see that Jesus, Jesus looked up and said, hey, you're Zacchaeus, I'm going to have dinner at your house. As he has dinner at a, a, at a gangster's house, a pimp's house, the, the, the tax collector's house, he sits there and he doesn't say, hey, I'm Jesus, I'm about to die on the cross and you're going to know that I'm, I'm the savior of the world. He doesn't say any of that. He just has dinner. And in having dinner with the sinner, he goes, look what I must do. I've got, he stands up, hits the table and says, I'm going to give, pay restitution to every single person that I've ever stolen from. I don't know your response when you've met Jesus, but I pray that it's the similar response to Zacchaeus's. Stop thinking rationally about this thing. Stop trying to work it all out because it will never make sense. See, so when will you give up the pride that holds your life or the insecurities that are gripping you? What about the mistakes that were so long ago? When will you just give them up? See, he wants to turn your tests into testimonies and your messes into messages. See, in Hebrews 12, 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud, great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily clings to us. And let us run this race of endurance. See, he wants to turn your tests into testimonies. See, if you're going to give everything, you have to give all those things away as well. And finally, when, you've, when you're going to do everything he tells you to do, when you've got to stop thinking rationally, you've got to go all the way. You've got to go all in. And the story of Naaman is, is so interesting to me. Because it says he goes away in rage and anger, and he starts to go home to Damascus. And now I got to travel to Israel a couple of years ago, and in that moment I got to see that they start to tell you about history. And history is kind of exciting uh, for me. Um, and as we're going, he goes, back in the day they would walk along rivers to get to places because it's how you knew where to go. I'm like, that's really interesting. Wow. And so he's like, and he goes, to get to Syria you'd have to cross the Jordan River. The Jordan River was where he had to get his promise met, where his healing was found in the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River is disgusting. Like, I don't know if, if you've ever been there, it's kind of muddy, it's murky, and they, they, they like, get baptized, like, thousands of people in the one spot at the one, like, it's just, like, they dress them in white. It's like, I'm a hygiene freak. Like, so they're all getting in there, getting baptized. They're going down white, coming up brown. I'm like, oh. 
like good for Jesus, not good for Joel, kind of, that's how I felt. So I understand his moment of going, surely the rivers of where I'm from are better. Actually, in fact, I wonder whether it was more, those rivers are easier than this one. In fact, I wonder whether it was like, why would I want to do it here when I can just go in my comfort? See, God wants you comfortably uncomfortable. To reach the lost, we've got to be comfortably uncomfortable. For a personal revival, we've got to be comfortably uncomfortable. To, to see the details of God and the will of God come, come about, we need to be comfortably uncomfortable. So he gets the river and sometimes to get your promise, you've got to cross the place where it's going to happen. And see, he had a choice. I'm going to go back to where I'm from and I'm going to experience it a little bit, but I'm going to go back to where I'm from. Or I'm going to go all in. I'm going to do it all the way. And I, I almost picture him like he takes one dip, two dips. It's like, ah, oh, nothing's happening. Maybe you should take it off. Maybe you should go. Have you ever tried God out for a few months and then I'm not going to show up next week? Or I, I'm, a, I'm a once a month man. I'm a twice a month man. I'm a, I'm, I, where are you in your journey? Are you an everyday kind of Christian? Are you a Monday Christian or a Sunday Christian? Is that too real? Because it's kind of where this moment is for him. He dips and nothing's happening and he's wanting this healing, but the truth is he doesn't want to go all the way. As the team comes, I almost picture him getting to the last moment. You've got to remember, he got to this point because of a 10-year-old girl, a maidservant who was carried off from another land. He doesn't know this God. He doesn't know the history. He doesn't know any of the story of the background of it all. He's heard rumors from a 10-year-old girl. I mean, if anything's going to mess up your theology, would be that. Like next week, JD, you're not preaching. Tate is. Like, if, imagine the American church going. We're going to listen to the kids. That's a whole other world. And I wonder what he prayed because he didn't know God. He'd heard of God. In fact, probably the biggest issue was that his pain was high. I wonder whether going home meant that he was now cut off completely from community. This was the last ditch effort. What do you pray when you've come to the very end of yourself? If you're out there, can't live with this anymore. The pain, the problems, the divorce, the bankruptcy, the, the issue. I can't do it anymore, God. Would you be, how, I don't deserve it, but we take it. And he dips. And he comes up and in my dramatic mind of the, reading the Bible, turns around to his walk to his friends because nothing's happened just yet because you're waiting for your breakthrough to happen and like nothing's happened but you start walking back to your friends of the community and his friends are like oh whoa, look at in, in front of them the ear the fleshy parts of his ear starts to grow back and the scabs start to heal over because your friends will start to see the change in you before it's actually started to happen 
See, when God breaks through, your workplace will know it before you know it. When you're trying to get healed and whole, maybe God's asking you to pray for the broken and the lost before He'll do it in you. Maybe just by chance, you want to see the lost and broken healed. Maybe you need to step out into doing that and just all of a sudden, it'll start to happen. But all of a sudden, it says the, His skin was made like babies brand new. What would have happened if you had stopped on six? What would have happened if you had have stayed at a distance? The beautiful thing is this, is this is almost an image of what happened in the New Testament with Jesus, that He took a cross that He didn't deserve, that He took a pain and a punishment upon His shoulders that wasn't His. So we could come into a, a relationship with Him. See, I don't know your story. I don't know your pain. I don't know your story or your circumstances. But I do know Jesus. And if you'll do it for an Old Testament guy who was brutally accusing and killing his people, he'll do it for you. If you can do it for two gentlemen in the worst jail cells in like in Mexico, he'll do it for you. Your, your cell of your pain, your cell of your punishment, the cell of your circumstance doesn't have to keep you from Jesus. See, you, all you need to do is say yes today. See, saying yes to Jesus says yes to forgiveness, yes to life, yes to hope, yes to a future. And today, that's the best story. Wherever you've been doesn't hold you any longer because Jesus already paid the price so you can live free. So before we, do the, we start dealing with the other stuff, can I ask you this question? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Him as your best friend? Do you know Him as the Savior of the world? Do you know Him as the one who's forgiven you of your sin? Or is He just your Sunday religion? Do you know Him as the one who rose again and given you life and life to the full? Or is He just something that I have to do? This morning, I want to ask you the question, where do you stand with Jesus? Maybe you're in here and go, Joel, I've never heard this whole story before and I want to make the decision. I want to say yes to Him. That's amazing and I'm going to give you the opportunity. Or maybe you're the other person who says, you know what, Joel, if I was honest, I haven't lived this thing through and through and I need to. So if that's you, wherever you are, can I ask everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads? Just with every eye closed and head bowed, I want to ask you, do you know Jesus? And if you can't say in your heart of hearts that I know Jesus and that today I want to, I want to know forgiveness for my sin. I want to know forgiveness for my past. I want to know a life and life to the full. Wherever you are and you go, Joel, I need to say yes to Jesus. Whether you're in the first person that says I need for the first time or whether you need to come back to Him today. I'd love you to raise your hand nice and high, quickly. Nice and high. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Just nice and high. Thank you so much, sir. says, Joel, I need Jesus to come into my life. Nice and high so I know I'm praying for. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In his attitude of worship, could we, you can put your hands down and let's just pray this prayer as a, a joint family because families pray together, right? Say, Jesus. Nice and loud, Andy Augustin. Say, Jesus, today, I'm a Christ follower. I thank you that you died on the cross, rose again, so I can have life and life to the full. This morning, I'm saying yes to Jesus. 